it is a gift. We all have gifts. I do believe every listener right now hearing this, every one of us has a gift. It might be a sense of sensing, feeling, seeing. We all do, but you can't find it in your mind. You can only access it in the moment when you're tuned in and in your heart, your soul, that's where you find it. Hello and welcome back to A Sharper Life. I'm your host, Nikki Sharp, a two-time best-selling author, wellness expert, and transformation coach. And I am beyond thrilled for today's interview. It was so mind-blowing for me that I said, wow, after almost every single answer that Catherine gave. And I actually kind of make fun of myself throughout it because this is my, my jaw was just hitting the floor where all I could say was, wow. So you're in for an incredible treat. Today, I have Catherine Duncan, who is an integrative spiritual consultant, holistic healer, and resilience trainer. Catherine is an ordained minister, chaplain, spiritual director, and certified in a range of healing modalities. She has worked for years as a hospice chaplain and now has a private practice, Learning to Live, and is the author of a new book, Everyday Awakening. Now, the bio doesn't do anything for who Catherine really is. And I have to just say this because our conversation goes in the realm of her two near-death experiences and exactly what she felt. She describes it in detail where she was truly given a, a, the chance of, or the presentation of, do you want to live or die? Uh, she, we talk about what her work was like in the hospice of working with hundreds of people who were on their deathbed and their number one regret that they have in life. She discusses what the, I guess what the transition from being on the deathbed to death actually looks like. And it's something very different than I think what you're going to be thinking. We talk about what it means to be awakened, spiritually awakened, how to fully live. We're talking about the conscious and subconscious mind and how this plays into if you're living in the past or the future versus living in the now and what it means if you're not living in the now. We, I mean, gosh, we go in, into so many different things such as practices, easy practices that you can implement right now to come into the present moment to feel peace. We go over why suffering is a choice and how to really understand this for the mind to make context of it. And really just all about ways to feel more alive. And this is such a profound conversation. We're talking about the different gifts of mysticism that you, yes, you listening right now have. Every single person has the gift of feeling, touching, sensation, just a knowing and how to actually cultivate these mystical, beautiful gifts that you have. And she is leaving you with her three tips to live a sharper life, which trust me, you're going to want to hear. So without further ado, here is Catherine Duncan on A Sharper Life. Catherine, it is such a pleasure to have you here on A Sharper Life. And I know that we are going to go so deep on all things life, spirituality, near-death experiences. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Great to meet you. Absolutely. So I wanted to actually start off with your new book, Everyday Awakening, was just released. 
what does awakening or spiritual awakening mean to you and how would you describe it? I would describe awakening as being fully alive right now in this moment, just feeling that sense of aliveness, vibrancy, flow that happens when we're here and now, just that wonderment and excitement like, here I am, I'm alive. What I'm hearing you say then is it's almost awakening could be equated to the present moment. Now, my, my question on this is so many people live their, their life, either living in the past or living in the future and don't actually know what it's like to live in the here and the now, the now, now, I think as Eckhart Tolle calls it. And so how would you encourage someone to experience the present or that now moment? I work with many people in my private practice and speaking of just about how do you feel this moment? And it's not in our mind. Just like you said, when you're in your mind, you're in the past, you're in the future, you're not even here. You're living on autopilot. And, and we do use our mind for work and planning and organizing, but where, what is your anchor? Is that your anchor or is your anchor in the moment? Our body is always in the present moment. So just simple practices, and it's a practice, it's a mindful practice of coming back to this moment. So right now in the moment, for example, when you breathe in, take focusing on your breath, can you notice when you breathe in, the coolness of the air coming in over your nostrils and the warmth as you breathe out? Or when you breathe in, can you notice how your lower belly expands on the in-breath, recedes on the out-breath? So just there's many different ways I can share about just how to come back into just this moment. And this is where we can feel that peace and ease. It's not found in our mind. So I was actually, as you were talking about that with, with the present moment and how to get there. And I, I so agree with you of it's as simple as focusing on your breath. One meditation that I love to do is I close my eyes and I tap into all five senses. So I, I close my eyes and I'm like, what am I hearing right now? And I really focus on all the different sounds I'm hearing. Okay, what am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I even seeing with my eyes closed? And then I do it where I open my eyes and I repeat the same meditation. So there's various things like that. Um, and a little hack that I always tell clients is instead of gratitude, because gratitude can be really hard when you're going through something really hellish and it feels like the world is crumbling, it can be really hard to be like, yeah, I'm grateful today. So I tell people to find joy, to look around your room and find something that makes you joyful. And naturally that it's kind of tricking the brain a little bit. But my mm -hmm. question is, what role does the conscious mind and the subconscious play into being present versus the past and the future? You know, I work with many people who come to see me because they say, you know, they've maybe made all the money, they've had all the success, they've experienced life, and maybe they're in older, later years of their life, and they're just like, this is it, this is life, and it's because they've lived so much of their life in their mind, and they're not even aware of it. I talk about, are you here? Are you choosing to be here in this moment? It's a choice. Every single one of us is choosing all day long. How are you living? 
Are you creating moments of presence? Like you just said, using your senses, one of my favorites. I love doing that, by the way, walking. When you go for a walk, just for a minute, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? Um, so just being mindful of being in the moment brings you into the front of your brain, into consciousness, into the present moment. Or so many of us, yes, live where if we're not conscious of what we're choosing, running our mind, our mind is running us. And that subconscious tape from childhood, from past is just is running our lives. So I, I just share with people, are you choosing to live your life or is your life living you? Profound and very interesting. And actually, I remember I, I've dove so deep into this realm of all things, spirituality, conscious, subconscious, ego. And I remember there was a moment a few years ago where I, I realized suffering is a choice and I'm actually choosing to suffer right now because the experience has already happened and yet I'm reliving it right now. So I'm choosing consciously to suffer. And in that moment, talk about the present. I was like, I choose not to suffer anymore. And the world literally opened up from me. Can you explain how and why that happens about suffering? It's a choice. And basically what I experienced to someone who is probably listening, going like, yeah, but no, I, I am suffering in my life. It's not a choice. You know, it makes me think of the word neuroplasticity. I teach and study, been certified in neuroplasticity. I think it's fascinating. So neuroplasticity we used to be thought our brain was just wired and set for life. Now we know what we think and feel in our environment is shaping our brain all day long till the day we die. So the four steps in neuroplasticity of every model I've studied, <clears throat> here they are, the first step. What are you thinking? You know, that negative thought, worry, rumination, that suffering. We call it actually like a, a limbic loop. <clears throat> it's this limbic loop that keeps going. And when you can identify, oh, there I go. I'm worrying about this. I'm fearing this. I'm upset about this. When you can even just name the thought, it calms your nervous system. Then when you can name the feeling, which the second step, which is not always easy, but let's say, okay, what am I feeling? Uh, I'm anxious. You name the feeling, it calms your nervous system. Number three, when you feel the feeling, Feelings are not permanent. So when we feel them, they move through our body and they dissipate and there's room for love, joy, peace to come in. So feeling the feeling is so important on the path to healing. And then the fourth step is growing the good, a positive, saying a positive affirmation. You know, in this moment, I'm okay. I'm strong. I'm resilient or an image. I'll think of my dog, Bella, who's five years old and it just warms my heart. And that's how you create those positive new neural pathways in your brain. So as you see, it's like when you can identify, wow, I'm really suffering. I'm really worrying. I'm, whatever that is, it brings it to the front of your brain. You put a spotlight on it. You start to see it. You feel it. And it will promise you, you can change it. You can dissipate the suffering. You can rewire your brain. It's amazing. I love that. And I love that it's the four steps. And I, I do think you know, as I listen to it and I've done this work, I'm like, now that I'm at this spiritual conscious level that I'm at, I, I'm like, oh my God, you guys, it's so easy. I swear to God, it's so easy. But then I realized I did have to go through so many years of learning just to name it 
feel it? Where do I feel it in the body? Can you actually discuss, this just came to mind. I've been dealing with lower back pain for quite a while. And uh, so the obviously there's things related internally to our body when we have pain that it could be that your alignment's off, you're running, you've X, Y, Z, right? However, let's go a level deeper onto the the spiritual, emotional meaning. And, and so I know for the lower back, it is instability within relationships, finances, material things, or just like feeling safe in the home environment. Could you talk a little bit about how and why we store like pain and emotion in the body and how to release it? Mm-hmm. I think if we don't feel our feelings, they get stuck inside of us. And it's a learning. I had to learn this. It's a learning when you have a challenging, you know, even from young childhood days through 20, 30s, if you don't feel the feeling, it gets stored inside of you. Or when you have unrest with someone, which life happens, life can be messy, things happen. And when you have unrest, if you don't if you're not able to feel it and process it again, it gets stuck inside of you. So it just, it's truly holistic health is mind, body, spirit. And I go back to, I think of just our energy system. We are energy. We're energy within, we're energy, our energy field around us. And I think of the seven, I know some people say eight chakras, seven, eight chakras, but our energy system. And so when I work with people, and I've done this myself for many years, I've been super passionate about whole person healing, but feeling into my energy centers, are they open? Are they flowing? And and there's there's exercises so like in my book, Everyday Awakening, I even using your voice, using your voice, toning the lower chakras. So I agree with you that lower back is lower, like chakra one, two support. So even using your voice to tone, lam, vam, ram, to kind of feel into that area. So there's a lot of different things we can do to help open up, to tune into, to feel into that space where we might be holding anguish, pain, unrest. It's number one, and I share with people, number one is awareness. Where am I? Awareness muscle, can you tune in? And once you start to tune in, okay, how can I work with that to move this energy, to open into a flow through my body? Mm, I love that. Just the, yeah, the flow through the body and releasing stagnant energy and mm-hmm. something that I've really, I've learned in my journey. So I bottled two eating disorders, chronic anxiety, body dysmorphia, depression, like acne from 11 years old, you name it. I've, I've pretty much gone through it mm-hmm. and instability within my, my, within my parents' parental system, not feeling supported there. You know, it's just, my soul chose a very interesting life this round, which is 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 yeah. ironic because I have these looks. I look the way that I do. I have this career, and I'm like on the inside. The soul has had to go through a lot. And, anyways, what I would I was saying on this is what I've had to learn about once you actually feel it and acknowledge it is then having compassion for yourself and mm-hmm. talking about the emotional vibration chart and all of that, but. I realized that, okay, well, great. Now I know these things. I understand. I've admitted that I have a problem. I, I've admitted that I have lower back pain. I know why it is. And I found that the secret, and I'm curious if if you would agree with this, the secret to then really transforming your health, your mindset, your body is meeting yourself with compassion for the pain in the body or the suffering you're going through. 
A hundred percent. And like you, I can relate. I have faced my death twice. I've lost five family members. I've walked with hundreds. I became a chaplain. Go figure. And I companion hundreds of people at End of Life. I would say the number one healer is love and it's self-love. How do you love yourself? And I'll tell you that hundreds and hundreds of people as I was a chaplain and a hospice chaplain with them as they were the last days of their life, that was the number one theme I heard is people wanting love, love for themselves, love for their family. So I think self-love is the healing balm. It's how we heal. And I think, I think life, our why we're here in this earth is to learn to love. I think that's how we differentiate ourselves. And I think when we pass on, that's what we take, our ability to love. Beautiful. And so just for those listening, if you don't know what the end of life hospice chaplain is, it's someone who provides spiritual and emotional support to patients and families during the end of care for their life. And I actually was going to ask you about that of what are some of the biggest regrets that you have seen people have at the end of their life? Interestingly, the hundreds of people I was with over years as a hospice chaplain, people did have some regrets. Um, I think I would say probably the number one thing would be with unrest with family members, their immediate family, parents, children, a best friend. So regrets around that and or forgiveness issues. But I'll, I'll say that what I did experience is profound healing. And again, hospice ministry, you know, they're, they know they're at end of life. So there's some often a little bit of time, maybe it's typically about a week, but there's some time. I also was a chaplain in our number one trauma hospital, um, level one trauma hospital, Hennepin County Medical Center. That's a whole different thing. The accident, you die suddenly. It's a different way to die. But in hospice, I did see so much healing. Healing happened before they died. It was honestly more the norm, the norm to see someone die peacefully. Because as a chaplain, I would walk with people and we had unearth what needed to be healed, what needed to be let go of for them to pass on. And I'll also share when I was with people at end of life, I just, the last day, days of their life, I very often saw this vibrancy, this like, like a, a dropping in of realizing this is life. Oh my gosh, this is what it means to be alive. And then, and then they would die. And so my, my work is like, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till the end of your life or some huge situation to happen to feel that aliveness now. <sighs> wow. As you're speaking, I'm actually, I'm actually brought to tears right now, which is, um, so interesting. I don't think I've ever cried on this uh, podcast mm -hmm. before. And it's, it's interesting because I haven't personally lost a, like my grandparents who lived in England and I didn't really know them, but I think what's, what's coming up for me and, and why it's so prevalent right now is because one, just the beauty of life mm -hmm. and really like, that's just the mission that I'm on too, is really to let people know like how beautiful it is to live in life, even though there is going to be challenges and it's going to be hard, but we, in my program, the ultimate transformation program yesterday, actually exactly this time yesterday, we did a call where I have them do a live exercise, listening to specific music mm. where 
the first part of it is they take, I say, who are, who are you more angry at mom or dad or sister or brother? And they choose their person. And then I say, you're going to write a letter saying F you to say, put it down all the reasons why you're angry at this person, everything. And I play you know, a song to really bring that out, evoke it. And then the next two songs, I said, you're now writing their eulogy. And so some of these people in the program have already lost that parent and some of them haven't, or their parents are getting older. And I mean, for the past 24 hours, the messages that have been coming in are just so mm -hmm. profoundly beautiful because it's, we hold on to so much anger and resentment. Mm -hmm. And I, I was telling this group of beautiful ladies that having anger and resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. It kills you from inside. Whereas when you forgive and you heal yourself of these negative thoughts and beliefs, it, it, it's so healing. And so I'm just, I'm so moved also to know that that's what people are facing at the end of life, that it's actually this profound vibrancy and vitality of like, wow, this is life. And then they leave. And so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. I love you sharing what you did. I just, forgiveness it heals it heals us it just it's the healing balm if we don't forgive and i know it's a process it's not always easy but just to let love deeply flow through our being that is healing and when we hold angst and unrest in the depth of our being it it only hurts us physically emotionally spiritually wow so important <sighs> profound I'm I'm curious of you also being in the hospice for those in the hospital. What did you experience talking to those who were like almost immediately about to lose their life? And you're saying, hey, like you're probably gonna die quite soon. What were what was your experience of their reactions? Interesting question. When I was a chaplain, again, at Hennepin County Medical Center, our number or level one trauma hospital, um, it was a lot. It was very sacred work and death happened very, very fast. As you can imagine, at a trauma hospital, um, I would spend eight hour shifts just in the emergency room in what's called the stabilization room, which is the four high trauma beds. And I talk a little about this in my book, um, Everyday Awakening, but you know, when someone comes in and there's a gunshot, a stabbing, an accident, you know, I'd say a, some of the time they're unconscious and it's just like, and then they go. But I have, of course, was with some people that it was clear they were only going to probably be alive another few minutes or five minutes or, you know, and in that moment, it, it, there, there aren't words. It's about a healing presence of walking with them, being with them, feeling. And I would just, my role, I would just be with them and just see love and light flooding their body to help them leave their body. It just, at that point, it's so, it's just, they're, they're just, all I can say is it's so fast. And I just want to see love and peace come through them, flow through them for them to surrender into it. And then, and then boom, they would leave their body. What does love and light and peace look like or sound like, or feel like if you had to describe it? 
I would, I, I'm, I'm a mystic. I see, I see a lot. I see spirits. I see angels. I, I can tell you in my opinion, take it with a grain of salt, but death is not an end. We go on. I've seen so much, but I just can literally look at someone and see light around them, see light. And I just see white light, golden light around them, or I send it through their body to just help them release and let go and feel flow. So I'll tell you color, every one of us is different. Uh, some people naturally might gravitate to more green or blue color or a white or golden color. It's all, it's all great. I see more white golden light within and around people. And if it sounds like if you had to describe to someone who knows nothing about vibrations or healing modalities for their own healing. Let's say someone's in a place of suffering for whatever reason. And you're saying, okay, like I, I want you to think about joy and love and peace and compassion. How would you describe it almost like as a sound or for them to figure out what that feels like in themselves? One practice I love, I do every single day, it's habit, I do it every morning of my life that I think answers your question is first thing in the morning when I wake up or my alarm goes off, I practice gratitude. There's so many ways to practice gratitude, but here's how I do it. I, if this might speak to your listeners, I, in the moment, my alarm goes off, I wake up and I'm like, I'm alive. <laughs> I'm here. I have a bed. I have family, children, friends. It's like, wow. I just think of the core basics. Like I'm here. And I know what that means from facing my death. I have that feeling deep in my being of like <gasps> aliveness. I do very acutely understand this. And so I think that in my mind, but then I feel it. So gratitude, I think this is huge. And I see a lot of stuff on gratitude, but they don't, they miss the boat where they don't talk about the feeling tone. So I think gratitude, but then I feel it. I feel this warmth kind of flowing through my body. Love, gratitude, highest vibrational energies there are. So when you can feel just a little bit of it, just Feel, breathe into your body, feel that energy, just see if you, what you notice. So I start to feel this energy of love, gratitude vibrating in my body. It's just like, oh, it just feels wonderful. And then I have a few minutes of prayer. And then I even see my day, like seeing you today. I mean, just flowing, things flowing. And I do this before I get out of bed. It sets the tone for my entire day. So that's an example of just feeling what's moving, that energy, breathing in and seeing what you notice. I love that. And I think you'll appreciate this. So I've been journaling my whole life and my mom kept my journals from when I was like six mm -hmm. years old. And she said that it was so sweet because I used to write dear diary today, I woke up and then whatever else. And she said every single day without fail, you would write that. And it was so sweet to it was almost like you were recognizing and acknowledging that you were alive another day and you were grateful for it at six years old at 12 years old. And, and now I'm, now I feel the same as you where, yeah, of course, some days there's, you're a little grumpier than the other, but I, I love that practice. And I love how simple you've made it of, it doesn't need to add on any extra time to your already busy life. It's start your day with 
just what am I grateful for? I'm alive. I have a family. I have, I, I'm, I'm here one more day. What do I want to do with that day? And I want to switch gears though. You've, you've mentioned it a few times. So you have had two near-death experiences and I'd like to go into this and kind of unpack it with as much detail as possible because I think the listeners and myself are going to be incredibly, I would say, excited, a bit nervous to hear about this. Is it real? What actually happened? So what happened for your first near-death experience? I was 10 years old. I was just turning 11 and I was suddenly very ill. My parents took me to the hospital and not long after I was diagnosed with a very rare childhood cancer, I was given a 20% chance to live. My parents were told this, I was so little, of course they didn't tell me. So this is back in the seventies. Um, interestingly in the seventies, so I started really intensive chemotherapy, radiation, surgeries, a drug came in from Turkey that year that was randomly being given to children. And my father being a businessman, he's been gone now a number of years. My father met the doctors and demanded I get this drug. This drug now is standard treatment for what I had. Survival rates now 80% for what I had. So here I was um, going to the hospital, getting really intensive chemotherapy back in the 70s. They did a lot of amputation. It was just horrific. It's nothing like today where they make children's hospitals friendly. No one talked to me. No one. Back then, they did have chaplains. They did have counselors. No one talked to me. My mother, I would say, was more religious, and she would say, you're going to be fine. But there was no sense of reality with how sick. They also had no anti-nausea drugs. I would be sick the whole night. It was just a lot. And not long into this, I just, I had this feeling in my being, <clears throat> I grew up so fast. I had this feeling like I was walking on a tightrope. I was looking over the cliff. I was on the edge of life and I knew it. I knew I was on that edge. And out of nowhere, I just started to pray and prayer had meant nothing to me. My family was Lutheran, occasionally went to church, but out of nowhere, organically, I started to pray. Could I live to be 20. I thought if I could be 20, I would see the world. And I told no one, I just prayed and prayed and prayed to be 20. And then not long after this feeling of peace of just like <gasps> came through my body, it was profound and a knowing inside me that I was going to live and I was going to be okay. And I have that feeling with me to this moment. It was just life-changing. Uh, and all I can say, 11, 12 years old, I grew up so fast and started the lens of, of just like life and meaning and purpose. And here I am. <laughs> this, I, I want to come back to this story, but it does make me think about a question that I used to ask when, so I grew up non-atheist basically. And I used to think, how can people believe in a God when God is giving children like you cancer? And so I've since learned a whole different meaning of why things like this happen. But in your experience, why do you think that you had cancer? Why do these terrible things happen 
to young kids or, you know, these freak accidents. What's the meaning behind it, do you believe? It's interesting. There, of course, many ways you could answer that question. Um, I remember many, many years ago, I've just been a voracious reader, studier of literally why am I alive? Life, meaning, purpose, starting as a teenager. And I remember before I went on the path of becoming a chaplain, I was a corporate executive with Time Magazine. And I remember listening to Carolyn Mace and her saying, you know, 90, 95% of life is your body, physical, emotional, spiritual, but there's just an unknown quality. There's a few percentage points, you know, kind of we can't control. I personally believe, again, take this with a grain of salt, but I, I believe in reincarnation. I just, there's too many people I've met were like, wow, I, I know you. There's just annoying. So does one want to reflect on a thought, a past life, something happened, you brought it into this life. That's one idea. Here's what I actually think. This is my opinion of why I got sick. I had, and I talk about this a little bit in my book, I had an abusive father, um, verbally and a little bit physically abusive. And I have distinct memories as I've done a lot of my work, self-reflection that my father, I, I remember seven, eight, nine years old on some level, not wanting to live and just feeling like I can't breathe. I can't live in this situation. I felt like my spirit my soul, my spirit was squashed. So to this day, I now have a sense that part of me chose to potentially exit. I had, I really do believe I had an exit point. I think I've had a couple. I think in life, this is my opinion, I think we have potentially, some people do, some people don't, but we have some exit points. And I really think I was given a choice to leave and I chose not to. Wow. I, I you know, it's, I'm, I'm catching myself as an interviewer. And I, I think I've said, wow, like five times. And I'm like, one, it's so not professional, but two, I it's, I'm making myself laugh because it's just, it's my mind feels like it's getting very expanded right now. And that's like the, the one word that keeps coming, which mm -hmm. is quite funny. So now I'm aware of saying, wow, it, everything you are saying, Catherine is very wow-esque. Mm. Now going back to that moment where you felt like you were on that cliff, that edge, were you in your body? Were you out of your body? Were you in the stars? Like, could you describe that a little bit more? I would say I was, I have, there's six siblings. I, there are five other siblings that have, and I was in my bedroom and you know, I was, I got so crazy thin. I had no hair. I was extremely sick. It was just, it was, it was horrible. It was a horror show. It was so awful. And I just, I just had this image of, yeah, I'm about to fall off the cliff. I saw the edge of the cliff. I could feel just this deep visceral feeling that I'm, am I going to live or am I going to die? And kind of, what do I want to choose? I had like, there's a choice here. There's a choice. It was just a knowing in my heart and soul. I had a choice right now. And I, I think I was partly in my body, partly kind of sensing I could leave my body. It was just coming in and out. And just this strong energy came through me that I really wanted to live. I, I didn't, I didn't want to die. And, and this is coupled with, as I said a few minutes ago, but no one talked to me. It's kind of wild. 
to think here I am 11 going to 12 years old. It was really rough going in and the kind of level of chemotherapy I was getting and the different surgeries and everything. Not one person, not one medical person. How are you? Nothing. You know, and my mom, bless her heart. She's 95 and still alive. And she's amazing. She has a direct channel to God, by the way. <laughs> but she is just, she was there, but I could also feel her fear. So anyway, it just, it really was a huge moment in my life of choosing life. And I remember feeling like hundred percent, I really want to live. What's interesting and, and something you just said that resonated with me is that no one asked you, how are you? And that's, that's something that I face. I faced an incredible amount of challenges that I haven't publicly talked about a lot of them. I will one day. And even going through like being put on Accutane, really strong acne medicine, being hospitalized twice as like a seven and then 13, my parents fighting divorce, horrible thing that happened in high school, all, all of these just add them up, right? All these different things that ice cream man tried to literally steal me at seven years old. What I remember from a lot of this, and of course I know the mind blinks things and I know that it's protecting and, and there's different perspectives. I know that what I think right now might not also be the entire truth, but what I do remember from a lot of professionals that I worked with and even my parents, cause they were going through their own challenges isn't same as you. No one was asking me, how are you? What's like, as I'm going through eating disorders and body dysmorphia, no one was asking what's going on in your family life? How is your relationships with people with? And so it very much like you, I felt like I've been through this incredible hard as hell journey spiritually because I, I felt so disconnected from other people. But the blessing of it is that it's made me get so connected to myself, which I think is the ultimate goal, right? Is that we, these life experiences that we go through, it's to come back to you. So that's interesting that, that you had a similar experience. So you're 10 to 12 around this time for the near-death one. So what happens? You said you had another near-death experience. Yeah, I, um, after I got through all the treatment through grace of, you know, God, I, I, I survived and I became a pretty normal teenager. I'll tell you, I wasn't ready to look at what happened to me. So I started reading so many books as a teenager on life and meaning and purpose. So instead of going out on a Friday night, I was reading, you know, um, Herman Hess, Who is Man, Existential of Human Emotions. I mean, that's the kind of books I was reading that I read up to this day. But so then I followed, not surprising, I guess, the business path. That's my siblings, my father, all in business. I was in advertising. I was with Time Magazine. I was a regional sales executive, um, senior sales executive for Time Magazine. And we were on, uh, they, every year would take the top salespeople in the United States on a trip. And so here it is, year 2000, we're in Costa Rica uh, on the trip, small group of us, and we went whitewater rafting. Um, interesting, I later learned Time Inc. had a policy, no, white, no whitewater rafting trips because a few people had died the year before. 
So here we are and we drive up to these rivers and they were treacherous. I mean, they were level three, level four because of rains. We all got on these boats. Of course, we had life vests, helmets, all this. And if you can believe it, the head of our raft was part of this Costa Rica Olympic team. He was crazy. So instead of going around the, the some of these rapids, he was going straight down the middle. I was in the very back corner and I just, I didn't have the weight to hold the raft. We hit a huge rapid. Next thing you know, I'm thrown off the raft. I'm deep underwater and I'm like pitch black, curled up. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to die. This is it. And all of a sudden these images of being a child sick in the hospital, uh, my two children, I saw images of my kids and I was just like, Ugh. and next thing you know, this white light kind of it came around my whole body and this voice crystal clear to this day said living or dying is fine. And there was just a peacefulness with it. And I just surrendered. I thought, and I didn't know if I was going to live or die, but I just, I let go. I just let go into that peace. Next thing you know, I came out from under a rapid. They grabbed my life vest. They pulled me on a boat. I was in shock. I couldn't talk. I was just, and then learned that I had to get back on the raft to get down the river because we weren't off the river yet. Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh. And so we get down the river. I get off. We get off. I never told anyone what happened. Interestingly, a couple with a day, two days later, I'm fly back home. I'm in a taxi. I live in South Minneapolis driving home. And I happen to call my mom here. I'm in my thirties. I call my mom to tell her I'm back in town. My mom never, she's, she doesn't share dreams, not her thing. And all of a sudden she's, and I'd even tell her what happened. She's like, Catherine, I dreamed that I slipped into a river and I almost drowned. And then I woke up and that happened the day that this happened to me. It was just like, uh, and so, you know, it was a serious turning point. I realized, and I had had this feeling like, this isn't it. This isn't what I'm called to do. I mean, yes, it was great, but glamorous money, Time Magazine, all that fun. And of course, a lot of fun about that. And, but I was just like, this isn't it. And I, I literally gave my notice and I quit. I'm like, I need to listen. I need to listen to who am I being called to be in this world, but I need to have space and silence and listen so I gave my notice and I quit and they were shocked because I just, you know, was one of the top salespeople and it was a life shaping, soul shaping transition from that experience to become who I am today. My first thought is I wanted to say, wow. I'm just, I'm giving myself grace and compassion. Yeah. I really like it. What a, what a hell of a story. And I want to, I'd love to kind of pick it apart just to understand. Like I can imagine you probably weren't underwater for all that long, mm -hmm. like a minute, two minutes, three minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Somewhere in there, somewhere around there, maybe five minutes max. Mm -hmm. But I, I think because the body, the, the brain goes dead after three minutes of, right. of no air. Um, so with that, and you're, you're seeing this white light, can you go into a bit more description of, because I've done a lot of past life, or I've read a lot of past life regressions. I've done my own a few times. I've read about near-death experiences. I've watched a lot of stuff. And so it, 
continuously, every person says the same thing, right? Where it's this light that kind of opens up. It's this sense of just peace. And yeah, like images flash. Like, so can you just like, were they color black and white? How quickly were they happening? And then when you see this light, is it like all around you or it's like the tunnel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you, after this happened, I voraciously read so many books and I'm like, wow, they all a lot say the same thing. Oof. Um, so it was pitch, pitch black. And I felt like I was like in a cocoon curled up. And I just a, a really direct knowing that I'm going to die right now. It was really like, this is it. And I was like, wow, kind of like, I mean, it was, of course, horror, terror, shock, all that. And then, yeah, this, this, all I can say is this, this like, extremely white energy light around me through me it was just like it was just I came and put words to it how electrical white light around me and then this feeling of peace came into me but what was really what stands out actually the most from that experience is this this voice was so loud and so clear and so calm that just loudly said exactly these words because I to this day and the words are living or dying is fine. And just like the peace, it's there's peace if we're on this earth. But if we leave our body, I believe our spirit leaves our body. I believe death is not an end. Now I believe that <laughs> it's just like either way, it's it's okay. It's okay. And that's what I surrendered into that peace, hearing that voice. And then, yeah, I just quick images of kids of me. And then next thing I know, I'm being yanked out of the water. It was just, it was wild. So as you mentioned after that, and you speak with your mother, you then quit at Time Magazine, and I love what you said about it, is that I needed to create space in the body. What were some of the, the biggest lessons or, or takeaways from these two near-death experiences that you've had that you want to share with others about their life and what they're going through right now? I would say since I was a child, prayer, whatever, I think prayer is a loaded word. So however you communicate with your energy, I'm really inclusive in my language, energy, soul, divine, God, Brahmin, whatever that is, that's been part of my life. Just It just has since I was a young person. But what I started to do really intentionally was every single day I practice meditation, some mindfulness, creating silence so I could listen. And I and I talk about this in my book. It's just about to come into the moment, to be here now is one thing, accepting now, but then hearing, listening. I think we're all given guidance. If we can be in the moment, accepting all that is in the moment, and just we get guidance. Some of us, it might be a sensing, a feeling, a seeing, a knowing. So that's what I did every day. I am also a huge journal. I journal a ton. So I journal, but I also just, so a takeaway is for the listeners, are you creating some space every day to tune into your soul, your essence, to hear, to sense, to feel how you're being guided? And if you do, I promise you, 
you will get the guidance. You know, some of us, again, it might be a, a sensing, a feeling, a seeing, a knowing. So that's what I did. And that's when, like a girlfriend a few months later, my husband had at the time a startup internet company. I joined them. It was awful. I mean, and it just, that wasn't the fit, but I, I just had time to meditate. And I, a girlfriend mentioned, had you ever thought of studying theology, spiritual direction? I had never thought of this. And when I got materials from one of our local colleges, St. Catherine, her, their spiritual direction program, theology program, my body started physically shaking. It was just like a knowing. So I was just learning on a really deep level how to listen. And I would invite that for everyone listening today. Can you create some space for silence, for hearing, for sensing? Because you will get the guidance of who you're being called to be in this life. I love that so much. And I, I love the way that you just phrased why we should be still. Because I, I think that you know, terms like trauma and meditation. And while like, yes, I think everyone should meditate. I think it's, they're, they're getting so overused that it's like people are kind of losing the actual meaning behind why should we meditate, for example, or why is there trauma in the body and how do we heal it? And I love the way that you just phrased that though, of it's just creating space and stillness so that you can hear, listen, see, feel the answer because the answers will become available. But when, and I, I'm going to add this, when we try to use the mind to find the answer, the mind is the thing that creates the problem. And you're not mm -hmm. going to find a solution with the very thing that created the problem. Yes, so exactly. That peace, that ease, the guidance, it's not in our mind. It's in the moment, in our heart, our soul, that we're an eternal being, our essence, that's where it is. And it's tuning in and feeling into that. What are some of your favorite journal prompts? You know, I've been journaling uh, since I was very young. Um, there's so many different ways to journal. Um, it's interesting. Jur journaling, I think it, it connects our neocortex with our emotional brain. It's really cathartic. And it's amazing how you sit down to journal and you think, oh, I'm going to write about this challenging situation. And then you start writing something totally different. It's really about letting your soul speak, letting what come out, come out. So uh, what I actually did that I thought I found so helpful. I mean, I've been journaling, again, as I said, on and off for a, since a child. Um, but one journal prompt, I'll give you two, actually. One journal prompt is where I take my journal and I write. And then, like, let's say maybe I'm wrestling with the word trust or flow or let's just say finding flow at the top of the journal i'll put the word flow and i'll just do a download let whatever come come and it's amazing what will come through when you just let yourself write and that's actually how i wrote my book i had a journal and i just wrote trust or love or flow and i wrote this whole journal and then i started blog writing and then it turned into my book one other quick comment is a practice I've done on and off for 20 years. It is asking two questions at, I'd like to do at the end of the day. And the two questions are what today has been life-giving, meaning what's given you life and a sense of joy and aliveness. And the other question is what has depleted me? And this actually comes out of a number of spiritual traditions called, one of them is called the examen St. Ignatius of Loyola, but many traditions. But I'll tell you, if you would do that and you take those two questions, what today's been life-giving, 
what has been depleting and you write those answers to those two questions every day for a week or two, you're going to start to see patterns in your life of where you're being called and what is truly life-giving in your life. I'm going to go do this. I'm, I'm really excited. As, as you were talking, I was starting to think about that. I, and especially I love the, the depleted because the way that I talk about health and wellness, you know, living, breathing, being in this industry is so many people get it miss the misalignment of that. I need to have a correct number on a scale or I need to fit in the genes. And I've started talking about life force and what drains your life force and what gives you more life force. Because when your life force goes up, your body will naturally look and feel great and you'll have vitality. And when you drain that life force, which is why I love this question about what depleted me today, it's kind of, it's thinking in broader terms than like, oh, well, I just fucked up eating a you know, piece of cake or the whole cake or what, whatever it might be. It's like what depleted me could have been the mental thoughts about that I'm beating myself up. So I, I really, really like those questions. You mentioned that you're a mystic and I'd like to go into that. What does being a mystic mean? And can everyone tap into whatever powers these are? And, and which, what specific powers of being a mystic do you have? I think being a mystic, and I think if not all of us are on some level, if you're open, if you're grounded, if you're in tune with your your eternal nature, I think of mystic just being in the mystery of life. I, I hear some words that come to me, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsention, um, clairaudience. I think many of us, if we can create some silence, we can get guidance and hear guidance. So here's a quick example. When I was a chaplain at our trauma hospital and I actually worked quite a number of night shifts. So I would maybe work the evening, but then I'd be on from 11 PM till 8 AM. I would be, have the pager for the hospital for the night. And I live in South Minneapolis, the plane. I can hear it to this day, what the emergency helicopter sound is. Go over our house. I'd have 15 to 20 minutes to be in the emergency room, typically be in the stay room. It was a lot sacred, but it was intense. As you can imagine, often usually it was a death, something really tragic. So I would, let's say, finish two, three in the morning. Back then they did not have a room for us to stay. So I'd have to drive back home, even though I was on a pager till eight in the morning. And I would get to my car and honestly, some shifts after by two, three in the morning, I'd get to my car and I would think, I would think, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really ready to be done. And I would hear you're done. Or I would hear you have one more call. That's an example of Claire audience, Claire voyance seeing. I talk about this just briefly in my book, but again, being with so many people as they left their body being with them in the room, it just opened up. I could see, sense different spirits in the room. I could sense and see like, zoom, there their spirit just left their body, often through the top of their head. And then within days to maybe a week, many of these people would come back and see me in the middle of the night. I'd open my eyes and like, zoom, there they would be. And is just nodding not their head like, thank you. But like, is that not terrifying in the middle? Like you wake up and it's just like, like at first, I'm sure you got used to it, but like the first few times this happened, did, were you not just terrified running and screaming? <laughs> well, of course, at first it was like, whoa. <laughs> 
And I was just, but then it was just so clear who it was. I like, I could see the outline. I can see them. And it was just like, boom, there. And it was gone. And luckily, I'm so grateful. There's this really incredible healer here in Minneapolis named Michael, who I had a mentor to talk to. Like, okay, last night, <laughs> here's who visited me. So I had a sounding board, which was like, thank you. That was helpful. Um but so, yeah, I actually got to the point where I had to, at night going to bed, I'm like, you cannot come within 20 feet of me and wake me up. I mean, seriously, I was like, you can't, it's too much. And then I'll tell you at the end of my last few years doing in hospice, of course, you'd meet someone and they would just, there was such a depth to them and a knowing of coming in out of their body. And then I would invite them. I'd say, well, when you, when you cross over, come, come say hello. So then those were the only visitors I would have. But I, so it just, it is a gift. We all have gifts. I do believe every listener right now hearing this, every one of us has a gift. It might be a sense of sensing, feeling, seeing. We all do, but you can't find it in your mind. You can only access it in the moment when you're tuned in and in your heart, your soul, that's where you find it. Again, that stillness. And I, I was going to, I mean, that way, I don't have that gift of seeing seeing spirits. I can only imagine the first few times. Like, <laughs> like there's times where I'll wake up and go to the bathroom and think I see something. Even now with my cats, and I'm like, oh, gives me a little jolt. So, but I, I I've heard that before, where you actually have to kind of put parameters around spirits and and souls. And I'm so I'm clear empath and claircognizant. And I remember from being a really young kid, I just thought everyone was like this. I thought everyone could see things or feel things. And I've always had this great sense. The, the clear cognizant is just this sense of knowing, like, I just, I just, I know. And it's like, it's hard to describe, like, I'll move, I'll literally move countries and be like, okay, I am done with London. I, I need to move to LA. And it's like, I, I can't logically explain it, but then I go and I'm like, right. I, okay. I know that. And I'm, I'm actually in that place right now where the, not my mind, but the, the, Claire Cognizant is like, it's time to leave Miami after three years. And I'm like, okay. Like I've really learned to just trust it. And it's also guided me of people that are in alignment who should be in my life, those who shouldn't be in my life. And then the Claire empath is really interesting. And maybe this is a different than the empath, but if I'm on a plane and someone's either a few rows in front or in back and someone, and then there's turbulence or I can sense people's fear in their body. And if someone is starting to feel sick and it, it, it will start to make me feel sick, which is why like I, I have huge headphones. I just mm -hmm. focus on myself. I edit photos. And, and now I've gotten a bit even more bougie where I, I try to only fly business class because I pick up on energy so intensely now that yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Right. And like, it's, it's almost it's overwhelming. And I'm in a place right now, funny enough, first time in my life where, so my husband's been out of town for a few weeks, business trips, and I've been here. And as I'm just kind of done with Miami, I've also realized I'm like, oh, I literally want to be like Rapunzel locked in my own tower for the first time where I'm like, I love my company so much. But the reason is that I don't actually want to give my energy to anyone. And I don't want anyone else's energy to penetrate me. And I'm like, 
how interesting. So I've just been sitting at mm-hmm. home with my cats for literally like two weeks and I I'm loving it because uh-huh. the sensor, because of the place I'm at right now, mm-hmm. sensory overload is and people and emotions. And mm-hmm. I feel like my vibration has just been like going higher and higher. And so I just yeah. wanted to add that to the conversation that it's, yeah. it, these are, we, as you said, we all have these things. And like, I didn't grow up knowing that I was going to be Claire empath. I had no idea mm-hmm. until I was clearing the system with the right foods, mm-hmm. with slowing down with, and then I can also sometimes channel um, people's relatives who have crossed, which mm-hmm. is very, very interesting uh, as well. Interesting. You know, I would a suggestion because I'm also like you, empathic, and I for 20 years have been working with energy boundaries, game changer, life changer. I mean, just a couple quick sentences here. I do this every day of my life. And if I didn't, I don't know how I do life because I'm a type of person. Tell me what are the, and for obviously, because I'm being self-adopted, for everyone listening of what, how do we, what is an energy boundary? How will it benefit and how do we do it? So I'm like you empathic. If I didn't in the morning, I'll tell you in a quick moment how some ways to do it. If I didn't consciously, mindfully set up my energy space, when I would walk into a grocery store or Target or wherever, I would feel everything of what everyone's feeling too much. So we are energy. We have an energy boundary. Our energy field is about as far as our arms extend. And if you're empathic, And we're all empathic, but even more empathic, you without even realizing it are taking in everyone's energy. So I'm just going to give you a quick couple takeaways how to do this one way. And before I even tell you this, here's what I want to share with you. What I'm going to share with you is now being recognized in the medical community. Um, David Rakel's Integrative Medicine textbook, which is the number one integrative textbook for doctors, for integrative doctors acknowledges this in the last edition, my colleague and I wrote a chapter for this book. So we're like, yay, the medical community is is finally acknowledging this. It's not as woo woo as you think. Here's one way. You see a light or bubble around you as far as your arms extend. And I always keep a hole at the top for light love to come through. So any difficult, challenging energy just hits the edges of this eggshell bubble drops away. Another way you see this eggshell hole at the top, mirrors on the outside. So any challenging heavy energy hits the mirrors and drops away. Third way, this is what I do every morning. It's a little more esoteric. I in the morning say, and I wanna send love, kindness, whatever out to everyone, right? So I'm gonna send love. I'm gonna send 70% love to everyone and anything and only taken 30 or 80, 20 or 90, 10. I do 90, 10 because I get so much. I do this every morning. I just say for a few sentences, I'm going to send 90% love and only taken 10%. I say that a few times in my mind and then I can feel my whole energy body set up. And I'm like, Shoo. I'm good. You could also work with color. I have a, my daughter's uh, fashion designer in New York City, and she works with color. So she sees like radiant green or blue. So those are just a couple quick takeaways. I I do write about this in my book. I just, I tell you, it is life changing. It is just, huh. So I'd invite you to try it. I'd be curious what you would think. What's funny is I, I work with this tarot card slash numerologist who is, I, I call her the Oracle. I've actually done a podcast episode where I talked about um, experiences I've had with her. And she's told me that actually multiple times of the mirror 
that that one is, and also the, the white light of doing, but I love just the way that you explain that. Like it's to your hands, it's this egg and then, you know, little thing in the, the center there. And I, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to start doing that because it's like, I know it, I've heard it enough times. And I, I feel like it's like, uh, everyone knows that we should be eating quote unquote healthy food. And I even hate that we have to call it healthy food, but everyone knows that a blueberry is good for you. Mm -hmm. However, it might be that one day from that one person presented on TikTok or Instagram where you're like, oh my God, a blueberry is good for me. And mm -hmm. I do feel like that, you know, it gives us that compassion of like, yes, you know the thing, but for it to really integrate and sink in, you have to hear it in different ways. And so I feel like maybe just hearing this from you now is like, okay, I've heard it enough times from Heather. I've heard it from other places. And now Catherine, you're telling me and I'm like, right, okay, I'm I'm actually receiving it right now. So thank you for telling me the blueberry is good for me. <laughs> I, I can guarantee it will give you breathing room and space every morning when I do this, because I'm on all day long with clients or speaking. And it's like, whew, here I am. I'm here. I'm grounded. I'm here. I love that. So Catherine, where can people find you? Do you do one-on-one -on -one sessions? Obviously your, your book, where can people get that? I have a private practice called learning to live. You can Google learning to live. I see people one-on-one -on -one providing emotional and spiritual and energy support. I'm trained in a range of healing modalities. I do also public speaking on resiliency and self-care. Um, my book is available Barnes and Noble. Um, it's on Amazon, Target. It's it's all over. And yeah, if you if you've enjoyed hearing some of these things, my book has forty two exercises of how do you come into your heart, how do how do you come into your soul? Not just theory. I want to help people, give them some key content, but also help them come into their yeah come into their body. Beautiful. And, and I'll link everything in the show notes. So the last question that I like to ask every guest, and especially based on today's conversation, I'm curious your answers. What are your three biggest tips for someone to live a sharper life? Number one, and this is my first practice in my book, coming back to the present moment. Life is here and now. When you're living in your mind, you're not even here. So how can you mindfully integrate that daily into your life where truly I think it's a life path and I keep working at it where being in the moment is your anchor, not your mind. Number two, I would say is growing love, growing that deep love in your heart. I think when we can drop into our heart and feel our heart, grow that love, self-love, love for others, then the door opens into our soul and that internal essence that we are and living from there. And then I would just say the third would be connecting with others. It just life is about connection and being with one another. Uh, research, if you have one or two authentic friends, you live longer. Right now we're in a loneliness epidemic. One out of two people in the United States are lonely. And the, one of the most important things is how can you connect, reconnect with people, finding a sense of community? What can that be? Because that is what is so deeply life-giving for long, healthy well-being and really to live a really healthy, vibrant life. I love all of those. And 
I agree with everything that you said, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming on. What a delicious, beautiful conversation and the perfect, perfect way for my Thursday to start. And I'm going to go do my bubble. And I hope that you all, my beautiful listeners and community enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please leave a five-star review and what you enjoyed about the episode. If it resonated or you think that someone you know would benefit from listening to this incredible interview with Catherine, please share it and send it because the more people that listen to, especially this today, I think the more joy and connection we will have. And so I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And until next week, here's to a sharper life.